The World Nomads Podcast Bonus Episode. Here amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Kim, the name of the brand we work for, World Nomads, it's awesome, right? It says what it is on the what's inside the can, all right? But yeah. people often ask me where the name came from. It came from one of the co-founders, and I'm very happy to say that he joins us live in the studio right now. Simon Monk, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Phil. Nice to be back in. Well, well to, come on, tell us the story. Where, where does World Nomads come from? Where's the name? Uh, back in uh, the early days of the internet, this has um, been working in the, in the space for a few years, and I wanted to buy a URL that represented um, the way I saw travel, um, and I saw myself very much as a world nomad and uh, looked up the domain and it was available so I bought it you know it was dead easy in 1996 didn't have to worry and um, I, th- I think I ended up buying the one in the UK and the .com the top level domain and a couple of others and then I set up a, uh, I think a blog that was like a travel blog of you know here's some photographs and some stories from my trips and things didn't really think of it as a business and um, that all came a bit later. How does your how did your blog then compare to the blogs, the travel blogs that you see now? Oh, back in the early days it was it was like there was no blogging software. Uh, <laughs> you, blogs blogs didn't exist actually. This was like um travel, you know, you, you, I used to send stories in by fax, I seem to remember. To, was, <laughs> really? Yeah, literally by fax. And uh, the the rolls of film back in the days of pre-digital photography, you just sent the rolls of film by courier. And uh, I think it was published on Telstra Big Pond um, with a producer called Anna. And, um, yeah, it was all done by fax. Old, that, very, that very, be, very old school. That would – would even MySpace around then or is it – are you predating I, I think, MySpace? I think, I think that's predating MySpace. And this was just travel, travel you know, a series of travel stories of a journey through Central America. The original world nomad. Well, that's, that's – you've had to find a new blog name <laughs> and that's it, right? Original nomad. <laughs> Look, one of the things I like best, Kim, whenever I see Simon, is asking this question. So here we go. Where have you just been, mate? <laughs> <laughs> well, this year's been a pretty busy travel year, actually. Um, I've just got back from studying Japanese in Japan in a little town called Kanazawa. And before that, like 10 days before that, I got back from a trip to Turkey. Uh, and before that, I was traveling through Central Asia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, um, where else? Uzbekistan. Um, so, so the whole region of Central Asia is qu- quite fascinating for me. Um, it's taken me 30-odd years, but sort of more or less retracing the steps of Marco Polo in pieces. And, and the weird thing is that when you're a kid, um, you look at Marco Polo and you think, wow, that's a you know, 13th century um, you know, journey right across to the other yeah. side of the you know, 20 years to China and back. Yeah. And actually – Having done it now in pieces, you know, you can you can quite see how he did it. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> so, so you Marco Polo's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do this for work. This is for, this is for purely for pleasure. Oh, pleasure is the wrong word. I mean, you know, if it's some of some of my tracks and things in the in the Himalayas, it's. Uh, the memories are great after you've finished and sort of yeah, warmed up again. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dried out. Can I, can I just jump back to, um, to the stands? All right, Because they're really popular at the moment. I mean, they're like hot new We've got an app coming up. Oh, we really? have an app yeah. coming up yeah. as well. So what was your experience like there? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what I expected, to be honest. Um, I've, I've been to you know, uh, Turkey, Turkey and Iran, and um, I, somehow I supposed it was going to be a more desert, desert-like version of, of that, perhaps, you know. And it was nothing like that at all. <laughs> Surprisingly, really? yeah. Um, uh, Travelled, I think, started in Uzbekistan and then went through to Kyrgyzstan. And the whole region is quite green. I mean, even you know, again, if you th- if you ignore country borders for a moment, yeah. uh, they're sort of modern, modern um, 
definitions of a country and you think of it in regions. I mean, the region just across the Chinese border um, on, on the stands side of the Chinese border uh, is quite lush and green and they grow strawberries and grapes. Wow. And uh, I was in a little, little area around the Fagana Valley, uh, uh, which has got its own group of you, you know, culture and people. Um, doesn't really get any tourists. Fantastic markets. You know, everybody's friendly. Everybody's interested in you because nobody goes there, which is wonderful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and you know, then you go to some of the other tourist places like Samarkand and, and um, those larger cities, and there's slightly more tourists, a few packaged tourists from Europe and things. But the small villages get nobody, and you know, everybody wants to talk to you and make you welcome. Fantastic hospita- hospitality. Well, I had a chat with you in the corridor last time I saw you around the offices here, and you were telling me about the hospitality there, and like you never put your hand in your pocket for oh, days yeah, on end. Yeah, the Fagana Valley was incredible. I mean, uh, the Margillan Mar- was the, the town I spent a few days in, and um, you'd literally be walking down the street, and you know, they don't take no for an answer. So then, you know, some schoolboys want to practice their English, so they take you home. You know, they take you to the school, and then they take you home, and then they say, you know, "Here's the tea, and here's all the other food," and you know. You're, like 90 minutes later, you sort of eventually make your excuses and, and leave and 150 metres down the street, there's another family who wants to talk to you and they invite you in for tea. And, you know, so for the first 10 days, and this just goes on and on, um, you just didn't, didn't spend anything and didn't eat anywhere other than people's houses. <laughs> See, <that's, laughs> it was, I'm sure we've heard from some of our guests that they've yeah, had same. similar experiences. And there's a lot of trust that goes into that yeah, kind of travel yeah. too, isn't there? Well, there is. I mean, if you were... If you were um, if you're completely on your own and you're a female, maybe you'd be a little bit more cautious, not through any malice, just um, you're inside homes. Yeah. But these, these, are, these aren't homes in our sense. They are, are, are communal living spaces, often with five, six, seven families, uh, generations wow. and generations of families, often. Uh. Now, you learned Japanese, but did you learn to spell Kyrgyzstan? Uh, yeah. well, just, I can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, having, spent, having spent six months planning it, going... Not, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't know where to start. No, too bad. No, not enough vowels. No. And you were also saying some of the experiences you've had in like the Himalayas. You must have had some close calls. I mean, you've been to lots of sticky situations. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, that comes that comes back to the origin, I suppose, of world nomads. I mean, um, whenever you travel, invariably there are, are, are occurrences of things that are near misses, and the dividing line between a great adventure and something significantly more tragic is actually really small and most of us fortunately end up with great adventure stories of which i could regale you for endless boat journeys and ferries that are on the verge of capsizing and uh, in in timor and um, rocks sliding down the cliffs in the himalayas and they just happen to stop and you know uh, yeah and then the last treks through through um uh, ladakh actually uh, this was uh, this time last year and um there's a section you go through of, uh, of high, high up and it's full of river, uh, river valleys and snow melt and rocks that have stacked up over the generations and stuff. And the, and the guide was going, we'll be fine as long as it doesn't rain. And then you sort of wake up the next morning <laughs> it's pouring, raining. pouring with oh, rain. No. <laughs> and you just go, well, let's get through here as fast as we can. You're but, a family man. Mm-hmm. So how does all this travel fit in with having children and a wife? Uh, you know, we, you, know you, make your, you, you make your choices in life and you can't have everything. Um, so we, we made the choice and the decision to travel with our children from when they were four months old onwards. Um, wow. you know, and you, you, tame, you tame your travel a little bit. You, don't, you, know, you, you wouldn't do what I did in Kyrgyzstan with you know, a four-month-old, not responsibly, but um, you introduce them to the, and then gradually you introduce them and then gradually get a little bit more adventurous again. And um, my kids now, you know, they love traveling and they love adventures and 
my eldest son is now uh, 16. He's just got back from Tasmania and he's been to India with the school and um, they've been trekking in the Himalayas and, you know, this is like 15, 16 years old. So what's your top tip for travelling with small kids then? How uh, do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is tough. I mean, you know, very small kids, you know, you know, you have two rucksacks and one of them is full of nappies. I mean, go yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard work, really, yeah. really, really hard work. And you look back now, you know, many years later and you go, man, must have had some energy. But um, at the time, just, you know, you, you, what are you going to do? Just stay at home and just, yeah, so you just get on with it. What's your top tip for travelling with children when you're in business class, Simon? <laughs> you put them with Phil. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm on a plane. Right, tell the story. And I go, oh, there's Simon. And he's putting his kids in economy next to me and then bugging off up the stairs. Hey, you didn't, did <laughs> And you? he's gone, oh, you'll be right. Phil will look after you. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Do you always travel business class? Uh, I never used to. Uh, these days, not always. It depends on the length, uh, length of the journey. Yeah. Um, as you get older, you know, if you go on long trips and stuff, it, you know, you just want to arrive at the other end in one piece, and it's a, it's a, a little, a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I haven't but, experienced it internationally, but but you know, my, my kids, I've got the view going. And sure, I could, I could afford to stick them in business class, fortunately. But um, why? You know, <laughs> at, at every level, that's wrong in my view. Going, and you know, I, I could take the eight thousand dollars a ticket and donate it to charity, or my kids can go in business class. You know, those, those, that's an easy decision wow. for me. You know, or and I look, I look at my other, you know, my kids and going. So if I buy them business class tickets and then eventually they leave home aged what nineteen, yeah, they're going to what? They're going to go straight back into economy. Yeah, you know, no, 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 nineteen year old can or should be able to afford business class. Going, it's just you know, I, I think the first time I travelled business class was when it was forty. Three, I went going, you yeah. know, go figure. Yeah, yeah. you've earned you know, you've yeah. your right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, love, I love that. Did you look after them? <laughs> they were fine. They were great. I mean, obviously, they've you know, been travelling since they were very young and they were early teens at that yeah, stage. Yeah. It was That's a right. few yeah. years ago. Yeah. They were very, uh, you know, looked after themselves beautifully and they had plenty of room, watched I, all the movies they want, settled down for sleep. It was the easiest gig I've ever had. I would have given anything <laughs> to see your face. That's just <laughs> a was classic story. Classic story. But look, nice segue there as well. Uh, you know, what could you do with $8,000 per ticket, give it to a charity? You also started, for me, which is one of the most meaningful parts of working here at World Nomads, and that's the, the Footprints Network and that charitable arm that we do there. How did that come about? Uh, the, the, the sort of physical or, origin of, of um, Footprints was the tsunami in 2004. That was the impetus that, you know, World Nomads was not actually that old, a couple of years old by then. And you looked at this tsunami and just out of nowhere, this wave wipes out, you know, 250,000 people, you know, and you go, you know, what can we do? Everybody was asking themselves, what can we do? And, uh, you know, standing in the shower one day and said, well, what happens if we added $2 to the transaction and sort of, what, helped the rebuild effort? That was the sort of naive view at the time. Um, so we did. We sort of coded it in about a day and launched it the day after and <laughs> without any great thought. I think, I'm trying to remember, I think we walked down to the local office here and got licenses, uh, like fundraising yeah. licenses. Yeah. And that was about as far as it went. There was no great um, plan. And then we looked at it and it was really interesting. I mean, we'd uh, raised like $40,000 in six weeks just from these tiny micro donations. And, yeah. and then you looked at that and going, wow, that's really interesting. And then we sort of kept on developing and building it and making it project based and trying to connect our customers much more closely to the, to the projects that they actually choose to donate to. Yeah. But the philosophical origin of it is, I mean, I've, I've been in so many places where these people uh, are beautifully hospitable and they've often got very little. I, mean, I, I was just telling you, I came back from, from Land Ladakh and I was walking through a field on you know, one of the first days and there was a family, uh, you know, a couple of old grandparents working in this field harvesting rice and they're having their lunch and they, you know, they, they 
they insisted that you sit down and have their lunch of you know dal and rice with them in the field and for them i guess we were then the entertainment of the day yeah um but they shared what they had and they certainly wouldn't accept any payment for it um that that giving and human sense of connection stays with you and it's not a one-off i mean that's just one recent example but i've been in you know the, the jungles of borneo or i've been in central asia or i've been in you know the himalayas or i've been in south america and you know most people in most parts of the world have this sort of connection with other people yeah and that hospitality you know there's an obligation yeah. that's broader than just the individuals involved you were a traveler to start with it's a but when did you realise that it was, you know, like your total passion? Yeah, that's a strange one. Um, you just, you know, you, you've got forks in your life life path, I suppose. And when I was travelling around Asia, Asia, this is in the late 80s, early 90s, um, for quite a significant period of time, a couple of years, I suppose. And um, the experiences that I was getting at the time were quite unique. And you knew somewhere in the future that was going to be valuable and important, but you couldn't, you can't, you couldn't predict where it was going to go or what it was going to be. You just knew it was going to be really, really, really important. And it was. It, I think Steve Jobs once said, you can always connect the dots, but only looking backwards. Mm -hmm. And you just, ha you just have to trust your instincts. And if something feels right, follow it. And we did. One of my favourite Richard Branson quotes is say that you can do it and then learn really quickly <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite yeah. i mean the naivety of course when you set up a business is you you, you don't know 99.5 percent of what you actually need to know yeah except you don't know what you don't need to know you just think it's going to work um, yeah. and you just make it up as you go along and you make heaps of mistakes and if you're lucky you you, you make enough successes and enough wins to get get enough of it right to succeed. So retrospectively then, are you proud of World Nomads? Yeah, I'm very proud of the brand. That's why I'm still here. That's why I'm having this podcast with you two yeah. and uh, sh sharing what I've learned. I think we've done things differently. We behave differently. Uh, we've got different values. We're you know, we make our, our money from travel insurance as a business, but we do so, you know, we actually care about people who, you know, that they our travelers and that they're you know, most travellers, fortunately, don't see what we see. And it's it's quite confronting. I mean, I've, I've travelled over 30 or 40 years and you see that the, ish, the, the troubles that occur to people, they're often of a quite serious nature and it could have been you. I like to call it a lifestyle brand that sells travel insurance, happens to sell travel insurance. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's what funds what we do. Yeah. But you, you get a sense of the brand and the people behind the brand and... Um, you know, all the things that we do that are non-travel insurance related, footprints, scholarships, podcasts, you know, we actually care about the world that we live in and the way people travel through it. Hey, how many, have you, do you keep count? Do you know how many countries you've been to? I, you know, I started keeping a list of, more out of curiosity, I suppose, and um, it's, it's not that, not that high. It's about uh, 70, I think. Okay. Not, but you've done not, them well. Sorry, not that high. Yeah, no, not but, that high. but 70 is not, you know. It, do you have a favourite of the 70 that you've been to? Not a favourite, but there are countries that I've returned to repeatedly, which is probably why um, I haven't travelled to more than seventy. Going, you yeah. know, they, when you when you t when you first go to a country, you barely scratch the surface. You know, you're just going, yeah. oh, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, and you need to go back numerous times on numerous trips to numerous places and meet you know numerous people to um, to to really get under the skin of a country. Uh, Iran, been to Iran three times. Um, love Iran. Uh, that whole region uh, around Turkey, Central Asia, fascinating historically, culturally. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, so different to our own cultures, um, but in some ways not either. 
you know, in some ways, you know, they are, they are again, uh, wonderfully hospitable people. Mm. I've uh, been to Japan more times than I can count. Uh, Japan's, uh, don't just go for the skiing, you know, really, really explore um, all the islands. Do you still have a bucket list, though? I do have a bucket list. Um, I'd, I'd have to dig it out. It's actually on my phone. But I think ah. Georgia, which is um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. sort of Georgia, Armenia, down through to Turkey again. That would sort of complement some of the region I'm looking at. But again, if you if you do a trip, it's not a big trip. I actually want to try and f- focus on a smaller region these days and sort of go a bit slower. Yeah. So uh, the trip this year to the stands, eight stands, I think. Yeah. I've got six weeks, you know. So you can either yeah, spend yeah. what a week in each stand, and you know, or a few days yeah. in each stand, going, you know, or you can pick three of them um, and try and get a sense. And then, then if you like it, go back and do another part. You like Georgia and even Turkey a bit. I mean, does the political climate? Uh, of a country worry you? Do you bother about that? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm about to get on a plane to Mexico with my sons. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can't ignore what's going on. You need to be well, well, uh, you'd be wise to be aware of what's going on in the country politically. Um, from a cultural perspective, you've got, you know, the whole drugs issues and the gang issues in, in, in Mexico, uh, the level of corruption, uh, through the government to the police force. That might be politically incorrect to say so, but such is life. Um, Having said that, you know, I was really cautious going through Central Asia, read all the, 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 you know, the world nomads advice about, you know, what to look out for. Didn't find any of it, but that's okay. Um, You know, it's better to go forewarned and forearmed and be cautious um, than run into trouble through ignorance. Uh, When I was much younger, I was traveling through North Africa, uh, particularly through Algeria, when it was about to descend into civil war. I'd read nothing, uh, didn't really understand any of the politics, (laughs) and I was actually lucky to get out of that one alive, I think. (laughs) That's when I was 24. Have you Uh, ever had to put a claim in? (laughs) Yes, once a long time ago. At, uh, the only place. Only, did, did we pay it? <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't for us. It was this. This was pre pre World Nomads. This yeah. is going back to um, early nineties, I suppose. And yeah. um, only time I've ever lost anything um, f- physically. I've come close, I suppose. Uh, I've had all sorts of accidents and things where uh, I never actually needed to call on the travel insurance. But by God, I was pleased I had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the only time I've ever made a claim was for a camera that got nicked in um, Bolivia, of all places. On the one hand, you just shrug. It's just it's just an item. You know, yeah. you lose your you lose your rolls of film and all the things that were in the bag. But it's just just a physical item. Yeah. But the near misses. I mean, I've, you know, I, I passed out in um, Guatemala just. Um, uh, again, same trip many many years ago, and ended up in hospital at three, at three o'clock in the morning getting injections, and, and they were stitching me up. And it could have been really serious, you know. You know, head was cracked open and there's blood pouring out, and um, you know, and the eventual bill at the hospital was negligible. But you know, yeah. if it had turned into anything more serious, you would have wanted to be evacuated home. Yeah. Um, and that's when you're going. Thank God I've got travel insurance. Yeah. Never needed it. Not, not actually needed to use it, but um, yeah. yeah. And you'd be insane not to. Anybody, anybody who says I've been travelling for twenty years and nothing's ever happened to me should sit on our side of the fence and see what happens to people. It's just because something's never happened doesn't mean it won't happen. And just because you can't imagine what's going to happen, you know, everybody talks about the proverbial bus crash. It's never the bus crash. It's, it's, more, it's, the, it's the most bizarre and obscure things that nobody ever imagines. I mean, a, couple of, yeah, a couple of years ago, Phil, you were telling me about this story in Bali. And there's a girl snorkeling with a boyfriend yeah. uh, off, off Bali, off the coast. As you do when you're traveling around the world, enjoying the tropical seas. Um, and lo and behold, you know, she got out into the dinghy after the end of the snorkel and vump, you know, there was a flying fish with a big spike that went <gasps> straight through her lung. Oh! R- wrong, yeah. wrong time, wrong place. 
Did she die? No, no, but, but no it was they, expensive. It was expensive, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, you think of this flying fish and the body of the fish is, I don't know, 12 to 20 kilos and it's got this big long spike on the front and it's travelling at speed and just ha- happened to leap out of the water. I don't know who was more surprised, the girl or the fish. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't... Uh, couldn't, you, couldn't make it up if you tried. No, exactly. Nope. Oh, my goodness. It's endless stories like that. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other... And, I mean, that's an amazing story, but you must have been moved by some of the other... Stories yeah, so, so some of the ones that are, you know, that, this is what we can't really talk about. There, there are things that really affect you personally, yeah. and um, they're really serious. And we've all got families and friends, and by God, you wouldn't want that to happen to you. That's why we have a chill-out room for the staff. Yeah, the, yeah. Our, our emergency department, I couldn't do their job. Look, I think we've been talking about coverage and insurance, so you've got your headphones on. I think we might have to play this, Kim, all right? Because, you know, it's a very heavily regulated business, travel insurance, all right? And we have to make disclaimers when we've been talking about things. So let's see if we can get this one away. This information is only a brief summary. Read the full policy wording very carefully. (laughs) Visit worldnomads.com, that's all you need to do. It's general advice and it may not be right for you. Read the full policy, it really won't take long. It worldnomads.com. <laughs> the disclaimer like album that? comes out next year. <laughs> Don't ask me how I got that through compliance, but I did. All right. <laughs> like, which other travel insurance company in the world would have a disclaimer like that? No. <laughs> World Nomads. Oh, that's Great fantastic. Great chat. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Thanks for coming in, Simon. Uh, look, if you can think of an amazing nomad that we should be speaking to, then drop us a line on podcast at worldnomads.com. Now you can download the episodes from iTunes or the Google Podcast app or ask Alexa and Google Home to play the World Nomads podcast. Bye. Amazing nomads. Be inspired. <laughs>